Run hard and tackle hard. You'll hear more footy than ever before. Across the Triple M Network. Yeah. For Bryden's Lawyers, protecting your future. Paul Kent, Gordon Tallis, Ryan Girdler and Anthony Maroon. It's what Rugby League's all about. Go! Triple M rocks the footy. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is Sunday, Triple M NRL. And a very good afternoon and a happy Easter live from Pepper Stadium in the beautiful city of Penrith for the game this afternoon, the match of the day, and it's going to be a cracker to Penrith and the Sharkies. Catch it all at four o'clock this afternoon. Dan Ganine, will, Dan Ganane, I beg your pardon, will lead the call team in that one. If you've missed the results so far, Dogs beat South 24-9 on Good Friday. Same day, Roosters 24, Knights 6, Broncos 24, Titans 22. And then across the weekend, Raiders 20, Warriors 8, Storm 30, Manly 26. Dragons 28, Cowboys 22. And right now with 13 and minutes and 40 seconds left in Intra Super Cup, Panthers 16, Jets 6. Those scores are all thanks to Tire Power, giving you five-star service, four years running. Gerds, Kenny, Gordon Tallis and Maroon. And joining us on the line to go one-on-one with Paul Kent, uh, we welcome him to Sunday Triple M and NRL, the boss of the RLPA, uh, Ian Prendergast. Welcome to the show, mate. Uh, it's good, James. Thanks for having me. Good on you, mate. First of all, uh, happy Easter. Thank you for giving us your time. I'll hand you over to Paul Kent, who will uh, go one-on-one. Kenny, take it away. <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us. And obviously, mate, what we want to talk to today is quite a bit in the paper, the Millionaires Club, about whether the, or not the player market is out of control. Uh, there's plans to cut the, uh, the in-season moves of players. But first off, the, the big issue in the game, as far as you're concerned, is the salary cap. Why no salary cap yet for 2018? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thanks, Paul. The big issue for us is the, the collective bargaining agreement that we're negotiating with the NRL and clubs. So whilst the focus has been on the, the salary cap, there's a whole range of issues outside of that, including you know, wellbeing education, um, the new contracting system linked to the new pathways, uh, as well as you know, supporting players properly as they enter and, and leave the competition, particularly our recently retired past players. So that... There's a, a huge amount that we've committed to um, addressing uh, through this process, and it is a really important negotiation, not only for players, but also the game in terms of setting rugby league up for the future. So it has been a productive process up until this point in time. I understand there's some um, concerns around the, the uncertainty from 2018 onwards, but it's not uncommon for an association to be negotiating its next collective agreement in the, in the last year of the the, um, the arrangement. So we'll continue to, to work really hard to deliver certainty in a, in a timely manner, but we need to get it right and we won't be rushing to, to do a deal that doesn't reflect the, the value and contribution of, of players to the game. One of the problems we do have in the game, though, is because clubs and players can't wait until a new deal is done, a new collective bargaining agreement is done, they're, they're all moving ahead and they're signing contracts anyway. And we're hearing uh, of some clubs who have spent $10, $10.5 million on, on their salary cap for 2018. Other clubs are budgeting on 9.5, and they're aiming towards that. And it looks like with the NRL's recent details released about an $8.3 million first offer, uh, we're heading towards a brick wall at the, at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's, it's still relatively early days in, in the process in terms of us only just receiving the, the first formal proposal from the NRL in relation to what the, the collective agreement looks like, including the salary cap. So we're, we're currently reviewing that in detail. We'll provide a comprehensive response in coming weeks. 
but um, I guess in terms of the salary cap, it may be their interests align with clubs because currently we we um, we don't believe the the proposal reflects um, what's fair and reasonable for players. So we'll continue to work through that um, with the NRL. Was that eight point three million dollar first offer insulting? Oh, I was underwhelming. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say that, and I, I think in terms of the the salary cap that clubs may be working towards, um, you know, maybe that better reflects what the clubs believe that the players are worth in the, in the current market, taking all things into consideration. So um, I'm confident that we'll you know, be able to achieve an outcome with respect to the salary cap that provides clubs with, with comfort you know, in terms of being able to responsibly manage their lists as well as you know, commit, allowing them to commit to the, the contracts that they, they currently have in place. But... Um, I, you know, I can't talk in, in detail about what our response will be, but we are not only you know, looking to ensure that the salary cap's reasonable, but that players receive a, a fair share of the overall revenue that the game produces. And we feel like that is a key pillar of the genuine partnership that um, players are committed to, to achieving throughout this process. Okay, just to take you back there, you said that you, you, you thought the 8.3 might be something that the clubs are happy about. My understanding is the clubs aren't happy about it because one of the, the few guarantees that clubs have got from the NRL is that whatever the salary cap is, they will get 30% above that. So the, the, the clubs are actually striving for a higher salary cap because therefore their 30% top-up will actually be higher, be more money yeah, for them. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to say that the, players, uh, the clubs would be comfortable with it. In fact, I think our interests may be aligned with clubs in in ensuring that the solar cap is set at a, at a, at a reasonable level um, because it would seem that they've been working towards a much higher salary cap than what the, the NRL have currently proposed. So that's what I was trying to say. OK. You've talked there about a, a percentage of gross revenue for the salary cap. Where are you with that? Because I understand that traditionally every sporting franchise or f- f- sporting league is, is unwilling to, d- to go that way and, and certainly the NRL doesn't appear like it wants to budge on its refusal. Oh, that's a principle that's been accepted and supported overseas as, as well as in Australia. So currently the cricketers and the, the rugby union players have that arrangement in place, albeit that the governing bodies seem to be wanting to, to move away from, from that in Australia at least. But overseas, whenever there's a, a salary cap in place, um, the only basis that the players have, have really supported that in the major sports at least is to ensure that it's linked to a guaranteed share of revenue to make sure that it's appropriately benchmarked and that p- players are also incentivised to work with the governing bodies to help grow the sport. So we actually think that this is a responsible um, arrangement to put in place in the NRL and that it will really help take rugby league to the next level in, in the future. Okay. The, uh, the NRL is $8.3 million. We, we know it's not going to be that. What do you think the salary cap will be and how, how hard are you prepared to push for it? Yeah, it's a, the overall um, partnership that players are, are truly committed to. That They have a huge amount of um, involvement in this process. In fact, they've been at, at the bargaining table on, on a number of occasions. Cam Smith's just stepped up as, as president. We've got four delegates within each club who are really driving that engagement with the association and, and they want to be genuine partners with the NRL and clubs going forward because they believe that'll give them more ownership over the outcomes that the game is able to in- achieve, hopefully in, in line with a, a joint vision that we share with the NRL and clubs. So it's, it's not just the salary cap, it's about, um, the, I guess, the, the overall um, deal that we enter into and that reflecting not only the contribution value of players to the game, but the 
the ownership that they want over the competition going forward. And I think it's it really underlined by respect, and the players want to be respected in terms of their ability to work with the NRL and, and clubs to take it forward. Do you think they are respected? I, I don't think the current arrangements reflect that, um, and and we've made that very clear to the NRL and clubs up until this point in time. We're looking for a real step change in relation to a range of of areas within the game that we want to improve to help fast-track the evolution of rugby league so that we can not only keep pace with some of these other sports like the AFL and and cricket, but almost leapfrog them and and really take it forward because at the moment a lot of the arrangements within the game are are really outdated in terms of where we we need the professionalism of the game to be. So it's about lifting those minimum standards across the board and, um, and I'm confident that we'll be able to achieve that through this process. Talking about where you are and how you, you're unsatisfied with where you, the current agreement, and there's a lot of ground to make up. Cameron Smith's in the paper today saying that the Players Association, the players have never been more united about what they want from the game. The NRL has lowballed you with this figure. Is there a, a chance that the players will consider the options of, of for example, a strike? to get its way and to finally make the NRL take notice that they are legitimately in this conversation? It's always where people seem to go with these industrial processes that um, we're currently working through, but we're a long way from even considering you know, that, that type of action. That's not to say that um, we've ruled it out because the players are truly committed to entering into a genuine partnership with the NRL and clubs. So we'll continue to negotiate in good faith. And I think based on the, the trust and confidence that we've built over the last 12 to 18 months, um, we'll get there. But um, the, the players are really... You know, find their voice as they have at the table and through providing us with the feedback we need, but but also publicly in terms of maintaining that solidarity uh, and united support for their association. And I essentially work for them to deliver this genuine partnership. So it's a really important negotiation, not only for players, but the future of rugby league. And we do need to strike the right balance because we're also mindful of the NRL's um, need to invest in the challenges facing the game, particularly at grassroots level, and also in terms of the, the changing, I guess, landscape around the, the digital rights and, and how people consume their media these days. So we think that we can do that whilst also engaging and empowering players to help take the game forward. The NRL has indicated that they believe the collective bargaining agreement will be done by June 30, which will give us a salary cap by June 30. Do you share that? We've, we've committed to put that time pressure around ourselves in terms of the process. So there'll be some really significant bargaining sessions post-Easter. We'll find out pretty quickly uh, through those as to how genuinely committed the, the NRL are to, to this partnership proposal that, that we've positioned throughout the process. Um, so it's really about diving into the detail now and, and working extremely hard to try and, try and, I guess, deliver that certainty to the industry that it's screaming out for. And, and I'm hopeful that we can knock it over within that timeline but as I said earlier the players won't be rushed to doing a deal that's wrong for both themselves and the guy. Todd Greenberg so far has not been part of any of the of the discussions and I think already your appointment of, of Cameron Smith as the uh, as the chairman of the, the RLPA has, has paid dividends because he's his position Todd in the paper today he's brought him into the conversation and left no doubt that he's got to be part of it now. Yeah, I think, I think Todd's actually introduced a lot of measures to improve the engagement with players, including the, the workshop that we had with captains at the start of the year. I'll speak to Todd, 
Todd regularly. Um, there is you know, a commitment in principle to, to working in partnership with players through the association. So I think that's what, what Cameron's alluding to. I know they've got a relationship. So um, it's, uh, it, time will tell. And I guess that's what Cam said today, in today's press. But I feel like there, there is a commitment in principle, but it's subject to finalising the detail and make, making sure the CBA reflects that commitment going forward. Okay, a lot of what we talk about and a lot of the, the, the big stuff here is the salary cap, but you said earlier that you talked that the, the current collective bargaining agreement is really behind where it should be. What are some of those things you're trying to achieve in this new CBA that the NRL's got to come to the table on? Um, it's about the respect for players and their associations. At the moment, the CBA is quite limited in terms of the detail that's included in that document, which then allows the NRL to go and make changes outside of that that impact directly on the players and their employment without those changes being agreed by the association. Now, I'm not saying that would occur based on the trust and confidence we've been able to build through developing that relationship in recent times, but personnel can change quickly, particularly in this game. So it's about making sure that all of the the terms and conditions of the players' employment is is captured, and that's a bit dry probably for your listeners, but it's... Well, can you give us an example? Can Uh, you give us... Yeah, so for example, the, the... you know, the codes and policies around you know, the illicit drugs policy and the code of conduct. Currently, the NRL could make changes to those without those being agreed by the association. So given they impact directly on the players and their employment, it's important that we need to get to negotiate and agree to those on, on their behalf. What, what, what are the players willing to give up in, in all these negotiations? Well, the players are prepared to commit to growing the game going forward. So that means that through a genuine partnership where they do share in the upside, that doesn't currently exist at the moment. So essentially what we do is a deal based on what we think the game's going to make. And if it, it grows, then you know, there may be some of that passed on to players, but it's certainly not guaranteed. What we're saying is if through a, a genuine partnership where the players do get a guaranteed share of the revenue, they'll commit to growing the game. It'll completely change their attitude. It's akin to you know, the difference between owning and, and renting your house, we say. If you own it, then you invest it more in it because you'll see the upside and you'll, you'll obviously benefit from that. If you rent it, then your attitude changes completely. So at the moment, we, we, we feel like that there's not a huge amount of ownership that's given to the players. So their commitment is basically to really work with the NRL and the clubs to grow it. That includes you know, using um, their, I guess, their, their presence through social media, their connection with fans, their ability to really amplify the messages that the NRL and the clubs are trying to get out there. And I think if we own what our joint vision is and and what we want the game to be in the future, the players are our most powerful asset. So why not empower them? Why not engage them in that approach? At the moment, there's not you know, they don't feel that um, amongst the playing group. So they're genuinely committed and I think the engagement with the association up until this point in the process demonstrates how committed they are. You sound like you're frustrated. The players are frustrated with the NRL, but you don't really want to say it for fear of uh, creating a new <laughs> argument. You're trying to put words in my mouth now, Paul. I'm, <laughs> I'm not frustrated. I think it's, it's yeah, similar to other processes I've, I've worked through in the past, albeit that you know, this has been a, a more values-based approach where we've tried to agree on a, a joint framework in relation to issues that we want to address. You know, we've agreed to relationship protocols. There's been a lot of goodwill in the discussions. Now the test is whether we can nut out a deal that truly reflects everything I believe the parties are committed to through this process. So I understand other people's frustrations. I'm not 
feeling those or experiencing those at the moment because I trust that the players are truly committed to what this looks like and that you know, in time that the game will realise that it's only going to benefit from um, including them on, on the basis that we've proposed. What are the players going to add other than what they do on the field to the well, game? You think, of, you think about the, the huge impact they can have in the community um, at grassroots level through their social media platforms. They've yeah. got an, an amazing um, ability to really amplify the messages that we're trying to, to get out there. And I think that if it's yeah. a more coordinated approach going forward, that's going to be a lot better than the fractured approach we've had in the past. And yeah, you, only so have to look at the, you only have to look at the disputes between the clubs and the NRL prior to Christmas to realise that that stakeholder engagement piece with players at the heart of it is a positive for rugby league. Yeah, and like tonight, I think it is a positive, but you're going to say, OK, the players are going to come and they're going to help and they're going to start promoting. And, and then their coach says, hey, get off the phones, get off the media, yeah. stop talking to them as soon as they lose two games. So is it like a false promise that the players are trying to give the NRL? No, I don't think so. The wellbeing education piece is key in terms of everybody understanding and appreciating that their people first and their football is second. Yeah. I think if you look at the amazing work that the game's doing in that space, if we elevate that to another level, we get coaches to genuinely support it. And we're, we're opening their lines of dialogue with them at the moment through Clint Newton. And we're increasing their awareness and understanding around the impact that the wellbeing education investment is having not only on the player and his ability to cope with the demands of football, but also his performance on field. If, if they understand and respect that, then we start to celebrate the diversity amongst players, their personalities, and we empower them to help us achieve these outcomes that we're trying to as a game. Because it's not just about rugby league. We're competing against other sports, and I appreciate well, coaches get... Yeah, absolutely. Really? Coach, well, entertainment, really. And, uh, yeah, like the when they get their budget, like every there. family... You know, like yeah, like they decide whether they're going to go to the movies, go to a concert, go to you know um, other sporting events, you know what they buy, you know whether they're going to buy them a Penrith jersey, wear it at Penrith and Cronulla, or like whatever. So, you the know, it's important. Minds of people, exactly. Yeah, well, well, you know, like it's important that the players, you know, keep their image clean and make sure that they can go there because they can do so much good for the game. And it's also really important. Well, obviously, yeah. you talk about uh, you know the brand and and the players promoting the product and getting out there and using their profiles. What about? having control over uh, what the clubs do. I mean, the relationship between a lot of the clubs and the media, the people that broadcast the game and pay a lot of money for it, not, they're not essentially that happy with, you know, the, the relationships they have with players and, you know, a lot of clubs yeah. allow their players to speak. A lot of clubs don't allow their players to speak. Are, are you going to be able to wrestle back any control over some of the clubs so that, you know, some yeah. of the broadcasters have more rights to the players? Yeah, I think that's something we're open to in terms of allowing more exposure to the players so that they can provide the voice, the messaging uh, for the media to report on um, as opposed to, I guess, the, the closed shop approach that, that some take in the industry and then the behaviour that drives in, in relation to the media running with the information they've got as opposed to it being from the perspective of the actual people involved. So that's something players are open to, but it's going to... And, and there's this misconception that players are just simple footballers. It's absolute rubbish. I've got to know these guys, and they're heavily involved in our business, and they add huge value. So I think we need to put more trust and confidence in them. Um, but, you know, in terms of this concern around the players who find themselves in compromised position off-field, that's obviously relevant. That's something we're discussing throughout the, the process. The wellbeing education stats show that a high percentage of those blokes are disengaged off field. So if we can connect yeah. more with them as people, they're going to behave better and they're going to cope better. 
and hopefully they're going to really thrive within these high performance environments. So our view is investment up front in them as people, not just footballers, is the answer. Hey, good on you, Ian. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Thanks, mate. Ian. We'll let you get back and enjoy Easter with good your luck. family. Pleasure. Have a good Easter, gents. Thanks, Thanks Ian. Cheers. There he is, Ian Prendergast from the yeah. RLPA. It's, he is the CEO of the RLPA. It's and, funny, but we do need a better relationship because I remember when I was, you know, heading and Wayne used to send me down to myself, Freddie, and what happened, I think, Freddie all of a sudden, like, we were going to these meetings and Freddie stopped turning up because the club told him not to because it wasn't good for the club. Mm. So we're going as a, you know, mate, we're doing this, this, this. And Dave Gallup, remember when he called a meeting and we were supposed to go to a meeting and I think Dave had all the media there and we just didn't go. Freddie goes, no, mate, we're not going. Well, Dave Gallup rang us. I didn't know. He was, mate, I've never been more embarrassed. I said, well, talk to us. Why didn't you come to our office? Why do we have to go to yours or all the media there? It was supposed to be us negotiating. So I just hope that all those players that are involved now, that they hang in there because it's got to be for the better, betterment of the game. And I hope that when they do go and negotiate, they've got to leave something for grassroots, you know, because my kids play it now and I just hope that they're going to leave something in the well for these kids that are playing at. Some of these clubs that are struggling can come through and, you know, and, pour, and, then, that's, and then that's my only concern. And they get a better relationship with the media. Well, I think Ian Prendergast is doing a great job with the Players Association. Sounds good. And I, I think, really, for the first time, we're actually sitting down in this collective bargaining agreement and having a grown-up conversation. It sounds like a grown-up it conversation. Does. And that, uh, look, the and game we've got great leaders. With the Cameron game is in a good spot. Look, the, 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 the clubs are yeah, generally in opposition here with the players because they both want the, the, the bigger piece of the pie. But because of the NRL statement that the clubs will get 30% above the salary cap. The clubs are actually with the players on this one, so they're trying to drive as much of as big a price as they can for this salary cap because it means more money to them. But what we're seeing in, out of this whole process, look, the only criticism I've got is it's taking its time to get done, but the process of what, what Ian is trying to do there is not just drive for a salary cap. In, in past, so much of the collective bargaining agreement, it's all about the players trying to achieve, achieve a figure in the salary cap and they forget about the rest. His whole idea, that the analogy he gave us there about whether you own a house or, or rent a house and, and you're buying based on that premise is really, really good for the game. And the fact that if the players can sit there and the players can be working on a percentage of gross revenue and can say, you know what, we need to grow this game and we're going to actually have an input into how we grow this game. Because one of the things that people don't realise about this is in the, the current TV deal... It, it funds about 85, 90% of the game's money, okay, the, the, the broadcast deal. But what's been happening, when, in this current, we're in the fifth year of the, of the current broadcast deal. The first year, when we got the first billion dollar deal, television ratings actually went down. The second year, they went down again. Third year, they slightly turned around, but they didn't get back to where they were. So the figures have actually gone down. Now, we don't know why. But if the players have got buy-in here, when the, the, and this is something they're going to have to consider, is if television rating goes down, the broadcast deal is not what they achieve or what want it to be because of the popularity of the game, that's going to affect the players' yeah. income. That's right. And that's why it's to their benefit then to get out and help sell the game. And you know what? Get rid of all those nasty incidents that really damage the game. Because that will now have a true impact on what these players earn. It's really funny when you talk to players and, and their mentality towards this. Players have this idea that they get paid by the clubs. It doesn't matter. That, that they get paid to play footy. They get paid to play footy and it doesn't That's matter it. whether they behave or not. They get paid and it's not, none of their business. And, and 
I talk to athletes in other sports, boxing, for example. If, I, if you ring a boxer up and you say, can I do a story? They'll bend over backwards to do anything you want because what their, their publicity shows is it's, there's a direct correlation between how much publicity they receive and how much money they earn. The players have got this disjointed sort of structure there where they don't, they don't actually realise that. They think that they're going to get paid this money regardless of what their public image Absolutely. is but it or comes what their from, reputation is. And, but, Paul, just on that, I want to stop you. I think it comes from the coaches. It comes from... Of course it does. Because, I agree. Because we've sat in this box and we've tried to get... You know, there was a game the other night where a CEO just signed a big-name player and they didn't want to talk to us. He's not talking to us. That's what we've got to get out of the game. You're not talking to Paul Kent, Ryan Girdler, Gordon, Taylor, and Maroon. You're talking to your fans. You're talking to your members driving to the game. That's what they got to get into their head, that yep. I'm going to go there, I'm going to grab this mic, I'm going to talk, I'm going to sell this brand to, who, to whoever's listening, and they don't have that mindset. Yeah. That can only come from the NRL. They, they, That's they, right. And they the players can't drive Todd The Greenberg players can't drive that. The, mate, the clubs aren't going to do it until they start saying, if you don't talk to the broadcast, if you're right. not there, NFL's the biggest, mate, it's the biggest I, show in town, right? They've got an hour every Tuesday. The coach, after, after they win the NBA grand final, they can walk in. Kenny, didn't you walk into some... Like, don't you walk in and see Jordan and all those superstars? Yeah, you can walk Mate, in the dressing room before the game with those guys in the NBA. That is that is unbelievable. You can go in the biggest... And all these players wear their singlets, right? And then they go, yeah, well... And then the reason why they wear their singlets and know them is because there's so much access to them and they see them in the media. But yet, we can't get these guys to come on and talk and show who they are, what they are, what they're doing. Yeah, but, but the, for the kids to fall in love with them. Because the players do have an influence on this, and they do have an impact, and they do have an ability to do it. But I'll tell you how. Because you go to a, you go to the fights, or you go to the UFC, where it's just basically again where there's a direct a direct correlation between your publicity and how much money you earn. Because if you can talk the fight up and get people interested, Conor they'll McGregor. buy more paper. Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor's a perfect. Ma- Anthony Mundine okay. in this country was perfect. Now, now, you look at their press conferences and you look at a rugby league press conference where they sit down and they're very muted. They don't say anything. It's If you ask about an incident in the game, it's, oh, look, I just think what happens on the field should stay on the field. Look, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that hard. Anthony Mundine, to me, is a great mate and he's humble. And I said one day, what? And he goes, mate, if I don't say that that bloke's a bum, I'm going to beat him up. If I don't, if I don't bag the guy, no one watches my fights. Yeah. If I start bagging and talking that and say, listen, mate, it's not personal, but you've got to come back at me and you're going to do this. Yeah. Otherwise, and then that's self-promotion. And then our game, do you know who I love? I used to love watching Willie Mason's. Yeah. Because he'd get there and he'd say, I don't care. Oh, mate, we're playing this bloke. Well, bring it on, which, was, which is good for our game. Conflict. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Kenny, do you want to say one final thing? On? I love your suit, Maroon. You love my what? Suit. I love your feet. I love your bare feet. They're good. Oh, come it on looks in. a bit like a Neanderthal, don't it? You do, actually. You, You're very hairy. You both have just found each other on Grinder, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were thinking about it, Paul. Sunday Triple M NRL is thanks to Brighton's lawyers. Kenny, Gordy, <laughs> Ryan Girdler and Maroon. Now, in this uh, Intra Super Cup game, the New Down Jets have stolen it from Penrith. 18 points, 16. Oh, the That's crowd were disappointed. Is thanks to Tyre Power, Sunday Triple M NRL. For Brighton's lawyers, this is Triple M NRL. <laughs> Coming up. Yeah, stick around because at 2 o'clock this afternoon, we are going to give you the chance to win box tickets. Yeah, box tickets to the Eels-Tigers game right tomorrow. So if you want to win them, corporate box tickets, hang around Eels-Tigers fans. Uh, And if you want to buy tickets, nrl.com forward slash tickets. 
And up next, the boys are going to have a bit of fun with a family icon, a Sydney icon, that's closing down as we continue on Sunday Triple M NRL. Triple M rocks Sunday Arvo footy for Brighton's lawyers. Protecting your future.